Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Welcome back. What an involuntary break. You may still be able to hear some construction noise in the background, but I am I'm overwaiting for it to be done and I'm just going to record these introductions for the next few episodes even if there is construction noise in the background. It's much quieter now than it used to be. They've closed the walls next door so all the sound is contained within the walls rather than uh, sounding like it's directly in the room with me. Uh, I don't think I could pass off jackhammering to you as uh, ambient noise but I don't mind a little bit of background buzzing. I hope you don't. Anyway, uh, welcome back and I'm excited to do give you bring you these next few episodes. I'm excited for 2021. I have big plans. This week's episode is with Richard Makem, who is a, a soil enthusiast. You will not believe how fascinating this conversation is. He's a really interesting guy. I recorded it on his farm in Armadale, so it might be a little echoey, but I think he is such a fascinating guy that it is well worth listening to him. And uh, I've missed you. Thank you so much to everybody who listens. Thank you, everyone who's subscribed. Thank you, everybody who supports me on Patreon, everyone who supports by sharing this with friends, episodes that you enjoy uh, on your social media. It all makes a massive difference and it allows me to keep doing what I do, the Patreon being obviously the most practical one of that. I've started doing salons on the Patreon for uh, afternoon tea and up subscribers where uh, previously, I had occasional one-on-one calls that became too much of a time suck. Uh, it was fascinating and enjoyable. Where I didn't want to stop talking to people, but I was, you know, spending twenty or thirty or forty hours a week uh, not doing other work. So these tea salons happen once a week at eight p.m. on a Tuesday. Uh, first week in Australia time, eight p.m. The second week in UK time, eight p.m. The third week in either West Coast or East Coast America time alternating and then the fourth week is off although I'm hoping soon as the world opens up to do that week as an in-person tea with Alice depending on what city I'm in that'll be a a personal human tea salon where we where we all chat and it's really a fun project to figure out how it works um over zoom or in person just being able to have these kind of conversations with you so that's fun and patreon.com slash alice fraser is the place to sign up if you want that or if you want to uh, if you want all of my other stuff it's there that's kind of i'm trying to make that my one-stop shop anyway uh, i feel the the construction noise is beginning a new crescendo i i have a sense now for the movements of this tidal flow that is the work so i will let you get on with listening to this podcast uh I will talk to you again next week. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? Alice, I'm Richard Makem. I'm a, a grazier of most of my life and um, a, holistic, a holistic manager and, and uh, carbon farmer. And I'm drinking uh, mostly red wine, but, co- but coffee <laughs> if I can. Red wine is just old grape tea. Um, so, you say you are a carbon farmer. What does that mean? Well, Alice, there's, a, there's a, an, an immense amount of interest on, us, um, on um, all the uh, emissions that we're making all around the world, and there's very little talk about sequestration. The emissions that are giving our, our atmosphere and our climate trouble um, uh, we're, we're, it's a great thing that we're looking at reducing our emissions, but we're also in farming and grazing looking at sequestration. 
because the, the carbon put back in the soil gives us so much more resilience in fluctuating climate for drought and that sort of thing. So we're here on your farm, which is in New South Wales, and you put this stuff into practice, and it works? Alice, we started in 97, and we started in the dry tropics uh, in, the, in, the, in the Queensland Gulf country on 250 square miles, and we found that it worked really, really quickly. And when we decided for succession reasons to come south, and by, we went to where we thought it was going to rain pretty well regularly uh, all the time. And um, we saw the hundred, um, the little 10 maps across and 10 maps deep of the BOM of where the rain had been over the last century. <laughs> and we went to where the most green and yellow was, not the most red. The most green and blue were, not the most red and yellow. Um, and um, anyway, we arrived down here and put the same practices into place that we put in the north and were disappointed that it didn't happen as quickly. And it took quite a lot of work to and study and, uh, and learning and reading back through history to try and work out why it wasn't working on this long, long farmed and long grazed, long, um, what would we call it, um, fertilised country, um, that the, the, the holistic methods didn't work so quickly. And um, there were other things at play that weren't at play in the outback and the, on the basically unspoiled country. So what were the things that were at play and how does this holistic method work? What we do, uh, the things that were at play were tighter soils, um, hard pans, uh, pH and um, the rundown of the soil carbon. The, the average around me and on my place was about 1.3%. That's soil carbon because people speak about organic matter. But uh, soil carbon is roughly half or 0.5% of, of organic matter. I'm talking in soil carbon and the area around me was probably 1.3 and I'd say our place was close to that. And the reason that had happened over a long period of time was that the, uh, it had been mostly merino wool country and the sheep were grazing it very short across not only that place but much of New England. And if you keep plants short long enough, your carbon is all in the, what we call the labile area or in the top six inches or whatever that is in metric. Um, it's, it's in that shallow spot at the top and that is turning over all the time. So the deeper carbon that would have been there originally had quietly been eaten up by microbes and fungi and all those sort of things and quietly disappeared. You don't lose the microbes and fungi, but they go to sleep or they're in much smaller numbers until you get that carbon deep again and then the infiltration starts. And why are microbes and fungi good? Uh, microbes and fungi um, are working in symbiosis with the plant and have, having signals going from the plant to the, to the microorganisms um, and vice versa. So one saying, I want, I want the sugars coming through the root tips for our, our, our sugar hit and, uh, and the multiplication of those, those um, organisms and, the, um, and vice versa. The plant's getting the signals for the sugar and they're getting the signals down there that they want it. Want it. That, the plant's saying what, basically what minerals it wants or what, uh, what it would like to have. And we get, we're only just starting to understand all this stuff and there's still probably a long way to go, but there's a wonderful internet system going between the bottom, the bottom and the top. And what do you wrestle with? Like you clearly in your own property, you found this to work and you have your own systems for measuring how to adjust it and get it working 
get the soil up to whatever standard it needs to be? Well, um, the, the, the difficulty was uh, understanding just what was wrong because our agronomy um, for quite a long time has worked heavily on what I call the top half of the, or one half of the toolbox. They've been working on the chemistry um, and not necessarily how, the, how, the, how nature was dealing with the chemistry in the soil. And um, it's re a reasonably new thinking. Um, it's been around a long time, but it's not, still not in general parlance that we need to be very careful of this soil carbon to, to deliver the nutrients in a different way to the plants through the signaling, signaling that's going on between. But not only that, the, the carbon deep in the soil allows much better infiltration. And there's a, an, an, Amer a, a North Dakota and American farmer called Gabe Brown who was really, really helpful to us with his information on the, in, on the percentage of, of, of carbon relative to the infiltration of rain and the storage. And uh, the, basically the figures that came from Gabe were it was 1%, 1% soil carbon gives you 12 mils an hour of rainfall infiltration and 3% soil carbon gives you 200 mils an hour infiltration. So basically over time, the country was desertifying because it couldn't absorb the rain that it was getting, and once you turn that around, it's a totally different ball game. You get you get lovely lush pastures, and um, the whole thing starts to function again. So, particularly in a place like Australia, I can see how that's important. Um, well, I probably need to step that back a little bit so your you, your uh, your listeners can understand how we do this, get the soil carbon down compared to the old short short plants, short roots, um, once we start uh, pulsing our stock in density across the top and moving from paddock to paddock and resting it, we, we're basically leaving what I call the solar panel of the, of the, or the leaf of the plant long enough to grow uh, the roots again quickly. Because as the, as the, when the plant's bitten, if it's bitten too short and kept too short, it can't sustain pushing, driving its roots deeper into the soil. So that means that we're not getting that infiltration and that, ca that carbon down into that beyond labile area where the soil is much more porous. It's even different to walk on. It's high carbon soils are very springy um, and they're not, they're not tight. They smell better. Your earthworms start operating and all those sort of things happen um, and, and you get nature functioning probably well, much more as it should. Well, I know, I know that like leaving fields fallow is, was an important thing even in the medieval period. Uh, why do you think that changed? Um, over time, I think there was, a, there was a, probably a, uh, with, with not understanding this role of carbon and its infiltration and storage, there was a feeling that if you left plants out there that weren't necessarily the crop you wanted to grow, you were losing not only nutrients um, all the time, but you're also using you're losing your um, the plants were absorbing the moisture that you wanted to have saved for your crop. Now, if you've uh, if you get this carbon going again, you've just heard the figures on the infiltration. It's a whole different ball game about how much water's going to be available, whether it's a weed or a plant or a, or a crop. Um, and the second part is that if you keep a, a if you move away from monocropping and have a broad diversity of plants out there, even if you've got the crop you want to harvest growing above and you've got lots of other plants coming underneath, you've got so much water absorbed that, that it's not a big deal about the other ones. And these different plants, there's a synergy or a symbiosis of the 
bugs and fungi they bring to the party. So you're having a much more effective um, under the soil, uh, what would I call it, a, a real bun fight or party going on with all these all these organisms, you know, and so... This is an incredibly good analogy for diversity in the comedy scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. And it, it, no, we, we, nothing's much new in the world. We can all go and have a look at something and find a, a good laugh in, in somewhere else. Well, yeah, but the more diversity and variety there is, the richer the thing is as a whole, and then you exactly. find that you don't have to fight for scarce resources if you have this you're, kind of... You're a, talking my language in soil as well. ...abundance of resources, then everyone can... Enjoy themselves. Yeah, move away from what we call scarcity mentality into abundance mentality and uh, and allow nature to supply some of that for you for nothing. And why doesn't every farmer in, in Australia or why doesn't every farmer in the world operate like this? Look, that's a really good question. And we've seen um, um, some real resistance from the what I call the old school or the conservative people that have been doing this for now for 70 or 80, 100 years of uh, this half a toolbox. And um, when, the, when the, uh, the holistic movement or the regenerative, um, what they, the African method of grazing came into Australia around about 1990, there was immense resistance from the, the existing people that had the skills of what we were doing before to this new thing that came in. And um, if anybody's interested, there's a podcast with a, with a man called John Kemp, uh, K-E-M-P-H. In, in the United States, um, he's uh, interviewing Terry McCosker, who was one of our original uh, people who took this method on and taught it, and that's where I learnt mine in 97, um, in our family. Um, that, he had immense resistance. Uh, that resistance exists right up till today in, in a lot of our universities and, and the people, even though this regenerative movement or holistic movement is still growing like Topsy amongst a lot of people that are in the thing, but uh, there is still that massive resistance out there. And unfortunately, it goes up into policy making, it goes up into advisors, and um, we haven't had um, the, the, the movement taken seriously for this, its sequestration qualities. And so we have this total concentration all the time on, you know, stopping coal or stopping oil or stopping... Uh, gas or stopping something else um, without looking at what we can offset with by putting this carbon back in the soil. Yeah, because it seems to me like there's a lot of money sloshing around in politics at the moment for solutions to the climate problem that is like particularly relevant in Australia. We had those bushfires. It looks like we're getting more and more extreme weather events and and so on. It is surprising to me that this stuff, like I've I can see your property and I can see what it looks like compared to the ones around it, but it's not being adopted more. Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult thing to see when you see the results, um, Alice. And uh, uh, you mentioned fires. Now, now fire, when, when we grow, um, you know, this is, doesn't matter if it's in a, in a conservation park, you know, national park or, or, or out on a farm or anywhere, all that material that's growing, that carboniferous or, or that uh, plant growth, tree growth, tree litter, plant litter, etc., etc. Uh, that's all got to be recycled one way or another. Now, if we leave it sitting there for 20 years and building up the way it just recently did in Australia, and we, we get fires at the inopportune or the worst times when the winds are bad and the heat's bad and the drought's bad, 
you're going to cook a lot of that that um, that conservation. Um, and um, if we go back to using the the way that used to be managed, um, the indigenous people had their cool mosaic burns. Um, they weren't they they used them for a number of reasons: uh, conservation, hunting, safety. Um, all those things came into play because when you've burnt a little patch out, three or four weeks later you've got this little green regrowth and that's where they got their hunting. You know, they, they brought their supermarket into their door rather than try to, to trudge over hundreds of square miles looking for a meal. You know, so that it was very clever to um, use it for, two, for three or four purposes, this, this little burn. And then three or four weeks later when that grew longer, all the grazing animals like that that nice short grass because it's 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 always sweeter and it's not as dried out. Uh, in bricks terms, it's always lower. It's it once it gets dried out and high, it's low bricks and not as palatable. So when you say bricks, what does that mean? Uh, bricks is the sugar levels in the plant, and you can squeeze it out of your fruit or vegetables or anywhere. And there's a chart called a Reams chart uh, that tells you whether it's poor, average, good, or excellent. Um, we can talk more about that in, in a minute, but. Right now, let's finish the, the, the yes. fire thing out. The, the, the hunting is drawn into this little area, and then a short time later, that's not palatable because that's grown a bit older, so it happens again and again and again. And you can do a transect into, into a lot of areas of Australia and see these layers, layers and layers. Now, some of them would have been wildfires or bushfires, but many, many of them were the indigenous burns with the charcoal. And we've, uh, we've got... We come to this stage now where me, I, I, as a holistic manager, are actually looking at the benefits of charcoal. I think I've discovered something that's been out there for, for, for 40,000 plus years. Um, we're looking at the benefits of, of charcoal now in the soils to mop up toxins uh, through our cows to lower methane um, and um, act as, um, if, if people like to look it up, there's a, uh, a, an effect in... Um, that's maybe four, four to six hundred years old at least in Brazil and it's called Terra Preta where the, the native people there use charcoal under their, their gardening plots and apparently you can see these plots now 405 or 500 years later still lovely and green even though people are long gone through many other reasons um, the, the, the plots are still lovely and green from, from satellites in the forest country in the, along the Amazon and, and um, here we are thinking we are discovering something, putting this charcoal back in when indigenous people have done this many, many years ago, probably not really understanding that result, but getting it anyway. And um, now we're, uh, here we are trying to do, here I am putting animals in little areas, making these, um, the, the similar thing to the mosaic burn by grazing it down and letting it come back, moving them away, getting them onto the better pasture and getting them, uh, a uh, parallel result to what was, was done by indigenous people anyway long ago, even though they didn't have the tools of ruminants in Australia to make this a, little, a lot easier and a lot more effective. That's, uh, that is pretty great. Now tell me what the BRICS chart is and then I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, BRICS, the BRICS chart, um, look, there were two, there were two uh, men that were really interesting in, in uh, uh, maybe 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, I think uh, one was Professor Phil Callahan, the other one was Dr. Carrie Reams. Carrie Reams did a, did a number of things that people didn't really understand much at the time. But he had this theory that high bricks plants, um, very high bricks plants, that's over 12 on the scale, were, were, uh, didn't 
uh, wouldn't wouldn't attract insects or pathogens. Whereas low bricks low bricks bricks plants were almost like na nature became the garbage collectors for that by sending in the insects and the pathogens to clean out the low bricks plants. Um, Phil Callahan's role was to look at this problem. Uh, he had two unusual skills. He was an entomologist and a radio freak. You know, he was right up there in wavelengths and all that sort of thing. Um, he looked at some of the aerials he was building for wavelengths and looked at these insects that Carrie Rems had, had attacking his plants and noticed that their little antenna um, were mirroring things he was trying to do to pick up wavelengths. So he had the theory that uh, sick plants gave off a different wavelength to very healthy plants, and there was a whole different ball game. Um, I think uh, there was a story that that um, people can relate to about uh, Professor Callahan when he was young. He was he the military people in in Britain were having trouble with their Murmansk convoys to go around to supply Russia through the, through that area up north of of um, England there. And they were having a, getting a really bad time with the bomb. They couldn't bomb, send their bombers out to to help the convoys because of the U-boat attacks, uh, and they because of the bad weather. You know, it's really shocking weather sometimes up there. Mm. So they put. Uh, I think I think the story was they put Callahan over in the top of Ireland, putting a radio beam out across the North Sea, and the bombers had a tracking system where they'd cross it like a moth coming to a light. And they'd home in on the on the beam and come home, and um, it's not a widely known story, but it, I think it's um, in all the reading I've had to do, I've crossed it somewhere, and I thought, wow, you know, this stuff's nature and what we're doing is is keeps coming together, and that's magic, you know. That's so fantastic. Thank you for uh, talking with me. If there's anything, uh, I normally say, where can people find your work? But that's because I'm often uh, interviewing performers. But where can people support this kind of work that you're doing? Look, if people want to know more about it, there's a wonderful uh, Netflix uh, movie out at the moment called Kiss the, Kiss the Ground, and um, that explains uh, in much better detail by more knowledgeable people than I am about how this all works and how we can actually manage photosynthesis um, and um, in the case of cattle who are doing this and sheep and other ruminants, how we can reduce their, their methane production by not only better food, but uh, using some of this charcoal and thing uh, through their diet. So um, yeah, it's it's um, that 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 Netflix thing is a great thing to have a look at. Okay, kiss the gun. Thank you so much for having tea with me. <laughs> no trouble.
This stuff is mistress, so we have got Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, day.